Father, we come to You first and foremost to confess the truth that You are, you are the Lord God and there is none like You. And that You will give Your glory to no other and You will not share Your praise with carved idols. And so we come here this morning for the specific purpose to give glory and honor to the one that is due glory and honor. But at the same time, Lord, we confess that we are unable to do that outside of the work of Your Spirit. So we pray that You would move in our hearts and in our minds, that You would keep us from distraction, that You would make us aware of the schemes of Satan, that he seeks to distract us and seeks to blind us to Your truth. But Lord, that we would be diligent to focus our energies, our mind and our heart to understand and try to perceive what you would desire us to learn this morning. I pray that you would help your word to be taught in clarity this morning and without error. And we pray that what you desire us to learn, Father, you would impress upon our hearts. And I pray that we would be a people that are not resistant to your word and not resistant to your spirit, but that we recognize truth, We recognize the need for repentance. We recognize the need to trust in You alone. We recognize the need to continually present ourselves before You. And the need to be completely dependent upon You for all things. So Lord, that is our prayer this morning and we believe that it is Your desire to answer that prayer. So, Father, we pray that as we look at Your Word, that You would be faithful in working among Your people. In the name of Christ, we do pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the Gospel of Mark. We'll be in Mark chapter 1. Mark is the second Gospel in the New Testament. And we are continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. And this morning we'll be looking specifically at chapter 1, verses 29 through the end of the chapter in verse 45. So Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 45. And talking about the mission clarified. Uh, When we were in West Africa uh, for the few years that I lived there, uh, one of the difficult things uh, that we had to deal with was keeping our mission clear. Uh, Living in remote villages that didn't have uh, a lot of the nice conveniences that we enjoy here in the United States, you could get distracted into doing numerous good things. You could be involved in digging wells and providing clean water, which is a good thing. Uh, You could be involved in helping establish hospitals, which is a good thing. You could be involved in uh, food distribution programs, which was very needed and would have been a good thing. Uh, You could have been involved in uh, building uh, house structures and helping people with their cows and their sheep and their agriculture. And on and on and on. The the list uh, would never end of the good things you could be involved in in doing. But the reality is, is that all of those good things take two things. They take time and they take resources. And those good things could easily distract from the main purpose that we were there, which was to teach the gospel message, to teach God's Word to people who had never heard it before. 
And it was difficult at times to not be distracted into diverting our energies and resources into other good projects. But continually our supervisors uh, would remind us, why are we here? We are here so that the Maranse people will hear the gospel message, a message that they have never heard before. And so when we look at this passage this morning, Jesus enters a similar type situation into where there are many different things that Jesus could devote His mission to. But when we ask the question, what was Jesus' mission? Was it to come and to heal people? Was it to come and make life better? Was it to come and get rid of all the demons? Was it to come and make life easier or simpler? Well, Jesus thankfully answers that question because we see that the central message of Jesus, as we see in verse 15, was to come and preach and teach the gospel, which is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And that was the central message of Jesus. And as we will see in this passage here this morning, that He remains focused on that message and that mission. So let's look at chapter 1, verse 29, through the end of the chapter, verse 45. Starting in verse 29, it says, And immediately He, being Jesus, left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. Verse 35, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Verse 40. And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will... You can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, And to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. When we ask the question of what is the central mission of Jesus Christ, Jesus answers it in chapter 1, verse 38, when the apostles come to the disciples, come to him, and he says, they say, everyone's looking for you. In verse 38, he says, let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. 
So, if you were to ask Jesus the question, Jesus, what is your central mission? He would answer it in the form of chapter 1, verse 38, by saying that I may preach in all these towns. That is why I came out. That is why I left heaven and came to earth. That is why I was born of a virgin. That is why I'm living as a man. So that I may go from town to town preaching. And preaching what? Preaching what verse 15 says. That the gospel is at, or the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, if we can agree on that fact that Jesus' central message is that. The questions that I have. Well, what is the role of healing? Because here we see in this passage three instances of healing. The first one is that Jesus goes into one of his disciples' house, his Simon, who we know to be Peter. And Simon's mother has a fever. And Jesus comes in and he touches her, and the fever immediately leaves her, and she's healed. Healed in such a way that she's able to serve them, and to cook for them, and to feed them, and to give them drinks. And so we see that Simon's mother is healed. But also at sundown, once the Sabbath ends, you have all these hordes of people coming to the house here. And what are they looking for? They're looking for healing. And some are demon-possessed and some are physically sick. But the reality is is that Jesus heals them. He says that He heals uh, many of them were sick with various diseases and He healed them. And He also cast out many demons. And then later in the last passage we read, you have this leper that comes to Jesus and approaches Jesus. And says, you have the ability to make me clean. Because not only did he have leprosy, but according to Old Testament law, he was viewed as unclean. And could not live as a normal citizen. So he sees Jesus, he's heard these stories about Jesus, and he says, I know you have the ability to heal me. And Jesus is saying, well you're right, I do. And I will heal you. Be clean. And so imagine this, instantly, this man who has leprosy, who his skin is deformed and he is, I'm sure, somewhat grotesque looking. Jesus says, be clean. He gives a command. And immediately this man goes from being sickly and grotesque to being healed and clean. So obviously, healing was some part of Jesus' ministry. But as I think about that, I ask the question, well, if Jesus came to heal... Why didn't he just snap his fingers and everybody's healed? Have you ever wondered that? Could Jesus have done that? Could Jesus have done like the clap on, clap off, little light thing, and clap on, clap off, and just said, sickness be gone, all over the world? Believing that Jesus actually is God Himself, I believe that He could have done that. And you think, well, wouldn't that have been a good thing for all the sickness to be gone in the world? And God is good, and therefore Jesus is God, and He's good. So why in the world did Jesus not just say, everyone's healed, and it's done? And furthermore, why does He seem to avoid some opportunities for healing? If you notice what happens in verse 35, immediately following verse 34, he spends this this night of the Sabbath, following the completion of the Sabbath at sunset. 
So this is Saturday night. He, he spends all this time uh, healing people and casting out demons. And early the next morning, he rises and he gets out of town. And he goes to this desolate place and begins praying. And Simon comes to him in verse 36 and 37. He says, hey, Jesus, everyone's looking for you. You did all those great things last night. You healed everyone. You, you cast out demons. And what in the world are you doing out here? Come on back. Everyone's waiting for you. There's more people that you can heal. There's more people that are possessed by demons. So you would think that Jesus would say, Okay, I didn't know there was anybody left. I'm coming back with you, Simon. Let's go. But he doesn't. He turns down the invitation to go back and to perform more miracles. You think, wait a second, Jesus. I mean, you healed some people and there's going to be some left and you didn't heal them. and That doesn't seem very fair. I mean, are you interested in eliminating sickness or not here? I mean, are you going to be a healer? If you're going to be a healer, you need to be a healer. But he doesn't go back. He, instead, he seems to avoid it and says, well, that's not why I came. I came to preach. But then also, if you look throughout the Gospels, you have numerous instances where Jesus heals people. And unless I am mistaken, I don't know of any instance where Jesus initiates the process to where He's searching out sick people to heal them. But in every instance, people are brought to Him. Or either He's in somewhere and He hears a demon speaking or, or, or someone comes to Him and, and asks for healing or they touch His cloak. Regardless, He's not going around asking all the people, sick people to be brought to Him. So then how are we to understand this ministry of healing that Jesus has? And how does it relate to His specific mission of preaching the gospel message and announcing that God's kingdom is coming? What we see here is that Jesus understands His mission quite differently than the disciples do. Because if you notice after verse 34, when He heals everyone... He goes out to the wilderness. What do the disciples want? They want Him to come back and do more healing. The people want Him to come back and do more healing. But Jesus is focused on His mission. And mission to preach and teach the gospel. And to announce the coming of God's kingdom. And so, if we say that, then the question that we then are posed, or, or, or have to deal with is, why in the world did He heal at all? Why not just not heal in any way? Well, the answer is given in verse 15. When Jesus says, He sums up His message of this is what He's proclaiming, He's saying that the time is fulfilled, and how is the time fulfilled? That the kingdom of God is at hand. But what does it mean that the kingdom of God is at hand? Well, we know that part of what it means from Old Testament prophecies. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 25, verse 8, Isaiah writes in reference to the coming Messiah, the coming King, the coming Son of God. He says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. 
And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah, before the coming of Christ, is saying, one aspect of this coming Messiah, this coming anointed one, will be that he will swallow up death forever. And that he will wipe away tears. Now, sometimes we have tears as a result of joy. But the tears here that Isaiah is talking about is what? Tears from a result of of what? Suffering, sickness, hardship, death, pain, difficulties. Life is hard. It has tribulations and trials. Sometimes life is full of more bitterness than sweetness. And the scriptures recognize that. And they're saying one of the things that will happen when God's anointing one comes is He will swallow up death and He will wipe away tears. And this picture is more fully written about in Revelation 21. Listen to what John writes in Revelation 21, chapters, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4. He says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. And notice, listen to what happens as a result of being with God. In verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So the Scriptures clearly teach that part of what it means for the kingdom of God to come is that death will be no more. That tears will be wiped away. That there will be no pain and sickness and suffering. So here you have this man, Jesus, who is claiming that the kingdom of God is near. He's saying, look, the kingdom of God is near. And therefore, he is representing himself and putting himself as a, as a messenger of God. As the visible representation of the fact that God's kingdom is coming. So for an Old Testament, uh, or for a Jewish person who knew their Old Testament, and this coming king came and there was no visible evidence that the kingdom of God was beginning to enter into a fallen and distorted world, they could rightfully say, like, wait a second, time out. Hold up a second here, Jesus. You're talking about this kingdom of God coming. And one example, we know that Isaiah says when the kingdom of God comes that He will wipe away every tear and death will be swallowed up. I don't see any evidence of that in your coming. So, in God the Father's wisdom and the Son's wisdom and the Spirit's wisdom, Jesus does heal. And He does it to give validity to His message. That in fact, the kingdom of God is near. So that every time He heals someone, the intention is that His viewers, those people associated with that circumstance, and us who are reading the passage are seeing that this is a picture and a glimpse into what the kingdom of God will look like when it is fully established. That there will be no one with fevers. There will be no one that is demon-possessed. There will be no one that's sick. There will be no lepers. For God has healed all things. He's made all things new. And so when Jesus heals, 
He is specifically warning the people to understand that I am the true messenger of the kingdom. And the very fact that I am healing should show you that the kingdom of God is near. That it is approaching. That in some ways it's already here. But in some ways it's not already here. Because He didn't heal everyone. And death still remains until His coming. But we have the promise of a full restoration in the fact of what Jesus did. As He healed, as He conquered death through His resurrection, we are promised that the words that John wrote in chapter 21 of the book of Revelation will come true. That Jesus will wipe away every tear. And there will be no more pain or suffering. So what else do we know about this healing? And how it relates to Jesus' ministry. One of the ways that we see that it is meant to validate Jesus is the fact that Jesus never, with the exception of one time, and we will look at this passage, Jesus never healed from a distance. But He healed those from within His context. Those that were around Him. Those that came to Him. Only one time do you find Jesus healing someone that is not physically present there with Him. And again, you ask the question, why did He do that? Keep your fingers in Mark and turn over to Matthew. The book of Matthew. And look specifically at chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And this, to my knowledge, is the only case in the Gospels where Jesus heals someone that is not physically present with Him. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. Talking about Jesus, it says, When He entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to Him. So this Roman uh, uh, military man came forward to Him, appealing to Him, Lord, My servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, and notice that Jesus' first response is that, I will come. So the centurion said, Jesus, I've got a servant at home, and he's sick. And Jesus said, okay, I will come to your house, and I will heal him. Now, did Jesus have to go to the house? The answer is no, he did not have to, as we will see. But he was intending to go. But then notice what the centurion says. He says in verse 8, But the centurion replied and says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. So the centurion is a wise man. He's saying, I have men under me just as you do, and I know that if I want my troops to go somewhere, I don't have to physically go there and tell them that I can just give a command and they're going to go do it. He's saying, I know that you're Lord over sickness. I know that you have the authority. So if you simply say the word, my servant will be healed. And notice what Jesus says. Verse 10. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Imagine doing something that causes Jesus to marvel. And said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, With no one in Israel have I found such faith. 
I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. Now, what was different about this situation? Why was Jesus willing to heal this servant from a distance? Because he recognized that the centurion connected the healing with Jesus' authority and the coming of the kingdom of God. So had Jesus said, okay, I'm going to snap my fingers and everyone's healed. Or you want this person healed over in Raleigh. Okay, boom, they're healed. What would happen to the central message that Jesus was trying to teach? That the kingdom of God was at hand. That message would be distorted. Because people would not associate the healing that was taking place and that they were seeing with the messenger of the kingdom of God. But the centurion acknowledged that God, or he said to Jesus, I know that if he's healed, it is a result of your authority. Because I have men under me and they do things because I have authority over them. So that I know that you have the ability to speak the word and this person will be healed and that it is connected to your authority over sickness, over death, and the fact that the kingdom of God is near and at hand. This also helps us understand why Jesus would say to the demons not to say anything. Notice in verse 34, after he cast many demons out, it says he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then when he heals the leper, what does he tell the leper man? He says, go and tell everyone that I've healed you. He doesn't. Week after week, preachers get up and try to encourage people to, to go and share the gospel and tell people about Jesus and tell, him what, tell people what they've done. And here Jesus is saying, don't go tell anyone. Why in the world would he do that? Why would he not permit the demons to declare who he was? And why would he tell this leper not to tell anyone that I've healed you? Again, we see that what is primary for Jesus is preserving the gospel message. Because he had no desire to be seen as some cheap uh, village healer. Or this cheap musician who just comes and he heals people, he does these chants. That wasn't his central purpose. To make life better, to make life easier. And he knew what would happen if this leper went out and told everyone. Which he did. And what happened? The message of Jesus was distorted in some way. Because these people come to him in verse 45. It says, They went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, let me ask you a question. These people that were coming to him, so you have these people flooding to him, do you think that they were coming to him because he was saying, You need to repent of your sins? Or do you think they were coming to him because they had seen him heal people? I think it's safe to say that you would not have near as many people 
flocking to Jesus if their primary concern was repenting of sin. What you have is people who are not unlike us. Their primary concern is with their own well-being. The primary concern is to be entertained or to see amazing things. They weren't interested in Jesus' mission of preaching the gospel from village to village. They were interested in Jesus' miracles and His tricks. Not really tricks, but things that He would do to amaze them. They wanted a show. And a good show. And so already, in the beginnings of Jesus' ministry, His disciples and the crowds are distorting His message. And they are failing to understand His central mission. Now, how do we apply this to the life of our church and to your life specifically? First of all, in the life of our church, it's important that we are mindful of the mission that God has given us. And that is to teach and preach and share and declare His Word. The truth that He has sent His Son to die on the cross, to pay the price, to satisfy the wrath that is reserved against His people, and that for all who repent and confess in Him will enjoy His presence forever. There are a lot of good things that we can do as a church. But it's important that we don't get distracted on what God has commanded us to do in His Word. We can also learn that Jesus wasn't interested in having great crowds. He could have gone back to Capernaum when the, when the disciples said, Look, you come on back. you got all these people that want to listen to you. Jesus didn't take the bait. He understood His mission. And how we apply that in the life of this church is simply drawing a crowd is not sufficient. If we draw a crowd with the wrong message, have we really accomplished anything? And as a pastor, I would rather have 25 people here that knew and understood the gospel and were here for the right reasons than 250 that were here for the wrong reasons. So, we would love to see that number increase, but that's not what we judge our success on. We judge our success on being faithful to the mission that God has given us. And then specifically thinking about how this should apply to your life. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here? Are you here because you recognize that you are a sinner that needs to repent and to praise God for His grace to us, that He alone is worthy of worship? Or are you here for maybe some reason similar to the crowds for going to Jesus? They weren't so much interested in His message of repentance, but they were interested in what He could do for them. He could make them better, make their sickness go away, so are you here this morning hoping that Jesus will make you feel better? He will 
help you get a better job, or He will take away all your pains and your sicknesses. Those things happen sometimes. But that is not the primary reason of why Jesus came. He came to solve our sin problem, not our sickness problem. The disciples and the crowds didn't get that yet. And as we will see through the Gospel, for the most part, they don't get it. But do we get it this morning? Or do we seek to use Jesus in some selfish way to try to make our life easier and more comfortable and better? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word that teaches us We know that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So Lord, this morning our prayer is that Your Word has taught us. Our prayer is that we have been reproved where we need to be reproved. Our prayer is that we've been corrected where we need to be corrected. And that we have been trained in righteousness. That we may be equipped for every good work. I pray now, Lord, that You would be faithful to Your own promises, that Your Word would not return void, but it would accomplish His good purposes. And Lord, I pray that those purposes this morning involve this congregation turning to You, seeing You for who You are, understanding Your mission, that You came for our sins, and that You command us to repent of our sins and to trust in the gospel alone, to trust in you alone. So, Father, accomplish what you desire in our midst this morning. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.